So if you didn't catch it, my name is Victor. Um, I'm one of the staff members here at Chi Alpha. And I just want to say how excited I am to be here. It's such an honor to be standing before you guys and to give a little bit of what God has to say. And if you're new here, I just want to say welcome. Thank you for spending your Tuesday night. There's so many other things you could have been doing, such as homework and projects. But thank you for spending your night here. I promise it'll be worth it. If we haven't met yet, please come up to me after service. Tell me your name, a little bit about your story. I would love to get to know you. I don't know a lot of you, so it would be good. <laughs> so like I said, this is my first time meeting many of you. So I would like to just start off by sharing a little bit about myself. So I was originally born in Atlanta, Georgia, but I moved to Iowa when I was 12. So I went from a class size of thousands to 37. I grew up in a tiny town called Britt, Iowa. For those of you who don't know, it's called the Hobo Town because we have hobos. We celebrate hobos. I'm not even kidding you. It's real. Like, Google it. So I graduated high school in 2016, and later that fall, I came to UNI. And I actually graduated from UNI with a communications major in this past year. So I know I look like I'm 30, but I promise you I'm only 23. <laughs> this is my second year working as a Chi Alpha missionary and my first year working as a full-time staff member. And I'm incredibly blessed to be able to work with college students. I'm blessed to be able to work with you guys and get to know who you are and hear your struggles and hear your ups and downs. It's an amazing journey. It really is. I'm also happily married to a wonderful woman named Lexi. We, <laughs> so yes, we are newlyweds of some sort. We got married this past summer in May, and it's just been an incredible journey. It really has been, and God has really blessed me with such an amazing wife. So anyways, enough about me. Tonight we're going to dive into what the Holy Spirit has to say for us, and hopefully understand what his role is in the life of a Jesus follower. Please keep in mind that I'm going to try to explain a supernatural being who has existed forever, and I'm going to try to go through thousands of years of theology in one Chi Alpha sermon. So you might have other questions, you might be confused, but there's hope because we have a sermon series for the Holy Spirit. Amen? Cool. So Daniel and Derek, Pastor Daniel and Derek will explain a little bit more in the next two sermons. But before we can begin the deeper study of the Holy Spirit, we must first lay down a few ground rules. The first thing we must establish, above all else, is that the Holy Spirit is a person. He is not a spiritual force, he is not an influence, and he is not a divine tool. He is a person. He has a will, he has a mind, and he even has emotions. The second thing that we must recognize is that he is equal with God. He's a third component of what's known as the Trinity. So God exists in three different people. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So this might seem a little bit confusing, but the best way I can illustrate it is this. Most of you have heard of the three different branches of the government. I'm sure most of you learned that in social studies, right? What is it? Legislative, executive, and judiciary, right? Each branch has a distinct job to do. And they are different. They each serve a different purpose. But it is still the government, right? And if you ask any one of those workers or employees, they would tell you that they work for the U.S. government. Each branch works to serve the others, and they are all dependent on each other. So it is with the Trinity. 
the Holy Spirit not only belongs to the Trinity, but is also God and can do the work that God does. So tonight we're going to be reading out of the Gospel of John. And if you want to take out your Bibles or your phone, please do so. And before we begin reading, I just want to give you some context of what is happening in the chapter. Jesus is essentially preparing his disciples for his departure. He knows that he's about to be crucified. He knows that he's about to be carried off to the cross. And the disciples know this. So they're feeling sorrow. They're feeling shame. Not shame, but they're feeling sorrow. Their master, their teacher is going to be led to the cross. During this specific, this specific section, Jesus tells the group to not worry about being alone because he's going to send them another helper who can be with them all the time. We'll read a couple verses and then jump down later in the chapter. But for now, we'll start off in John 14, verses 16 through 17. Again, John 14, 16 through 17, and it reads this. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be with you. So we'll skip down to verse 26, if you want to scroll down or flip a page. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said. Let's pray. Jesus, we just ask that you would be here. Holy Spirit, we'd ask that you would fill this room. God, I just pray that you would start to minister to hearts right now. And that you would anoint this, this message, Jesus, that we would speak through me. We just love you and praise you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Cool. For most of my life, religion was a major part of who I was. And I was often involved in church. I never missed a mass as a part of the Catholic Church. I never missed a service. During my e early years, I was involved in the Catholic Church. And when we moved to Iowa later in my life, my family was invited to a small Methodist church. This church was very, very different to what I was used to. They had instruments. The preacher was not wearing robes. There was no choir. They actually talked to each other after service and actually saw each other outside of service. They lifted their hands during worship. And the worst of all, service is longer than an hour. <laughs> Despite all these new changes, these weren't the issues that I noticed. What I noticed was what they talked about, the language and the phrases they would use. They often talked about religion versus relationship, as if there was a difference. They would talk about God as if he could be personally known. They would say that they could feel God's presence in the room. They talked about God's spirit as if he could be found among humans on earth. Over time, I slowly accepted this new church, but not without my reservations. For those of you who don't know me, I'm a type 5 on Enneagram which is basically a system of personality typing that describes patterns in how people interpret the world and their emotions. My personality type is one that focuses on intellectual understanding, accumulating knowledge, and most importantly, following the rules. I spend a lot of my time trying to analyze decisions and understand how things work. To give you an idea of how my mind works, it takes me 20 minutes to buy a bottle of shampoo. Why? Because I must analyze the cost, what it smells like, what it says it can do to my hair, the brand, and my previous experience. So I have to look through all of them. I have to find the perfect one. 
when it came to religion and spiritual things, I created this distorted version of Christianity that was centered on my performance and my adherence. Most of my religious life was centered around following rules and expectations that made sense and were logical to me. For example, my family went to church and all of my friends say they believe in God. So, logic follows that I need to do that. I accepted all the religious practices, such as going to church and learning about the Bible, because after all, it was the moral duty and religious duty of a Christian. I accepted that Jesus died for my sins, even though I didn't believe I was a sinner, because why not have a get-out-of-hell-free card? But despite all the things that I followed, despite all the rules that I kept in place, no matter how many services I went to, there was still something different between those who were on fire for their faith and me. There was a clear divide. I was missing something. And I just couldn't figure it out. I studied them. I observed them. I listened to what they had to say, and yet it eluded me. But over time, I figured it out. The Holy Spirit. For one, a spirit was an invisible being who could not be touched nor heard. And yet this specific spirit somehow was doing things to people that could not be explained by my reasoning. I would attend services and see people with tears in their eyes claiming that God's spirit was in the room. I would witness people getting healed from various diseases and illnesses. I would hear people talk about their encounter with God and how it radically changed them. No matter how the Spirit moved, it just didn't make sense to me. The Holy Spirit not only eluded my logic and my reasoning, but he invoked a sense of frustration. I would often believe that he was unfairly avoiding me, robbing me of a powerful blessing or experience. Or I would tell myself that what he was causing people to do and the way that he was working through them was just too radical for me. I admit to the, even this day, I still struggle with truly understanding the role and power of the Holy Spirit. And in fact, is the part of my faith that I admit that I neglect. I firmly believe that some of you in this room can relate with me. Maybe you're here tonight with some or no religious background. And truthfully, all this talk of a spirit makes you feel uncomfortable and it's not really your thing. Your conception of religion or your previous experience of church is nothing like Chi Alpha. And you feel awkward and maybe as people were raising their hands and jumping around, you felt a little out of place. There are other of us who have maybe have heard about the Holy Spirit, maybe even believe in what he has to do and what he has to say for your life. But we don't intentionally try to have a relationship with him. And we just simply forget about him. We've heard sermons, and we've heard teachings, and we've heard all the passages in Scripture. But if we look at our lives and our behaviors and our spiritual walk, they testify of nothing but powerless and fruitless theology. There are some of us here who perhaps feel like we're hitting a spiritual wall. We can't seem the fire that we once, can't find the fire that we once had. Maybe we look at others having all sorts of encounters, and we feel bitter and angry, and left out. Maybe you went to fall retreat, 
and like me, saw people leaping and responding to God, what God was doing in their lives, and you felt confused and sad that it wasn't happening to you. Please take heart, as you are not alone. I believe that the Holy Spirit has something powerful to speak to all three groups. I believe that he wants to move in your life. I believe that he wants to walk with you in an intimate relationship, like one you've never heard of. So the question is, what does the Holy Spirit have to do with you? I want to give two transformational truths tonight that will build our foundation as we dive into who, who the Holy Spirit is. And we'll do this by exploring the names of the Holy Spirit in the Bible and how they create a distinct identity. So, we must, we must first start by looking back at our text and asking, what does Jesus mean when he says the spirit of truth? What would his listeners have heard in that moment? In scripture, we often see the term the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, and the spirit, and these all refer to the same person. They refer to God's personal presence. In the New Testament, we find the word pneuma, which was the Greek translation of the original Hebrew word for spirit, which was ruach. Now these words literally mean wind or breath. And even though they might seem like two distinctly different comparisons, they have one thing in common, energy. Although we cannot see or hear the wind, we can certainly feel its effects. Like when it pushes a branch. Or it has the power to keep things in motion, like a sailboat. There is an undeniable sense of energy when it comes to the wind. Now, I want everyone to take a deep breath. Ready? Did you feel that? Did you feel the vitality rushing through your body? That is also Ruach. So just like the wind... The Ruach has power and energy. And just like the very breath in our lungs, the Ruach is what sustains life. In the old times, in the Old Testament, I'm sorry, before the time of Jesus, we see the Spirit of God working through humans only in certain situations and only through certain humans. The Spirit would work through humans when he needed to give them a divine perspective of what was going on. We find that he would only give them to kings, prophets, and priests. Kings were the leaders of Israel and needed to lead God's people and thus need to be divinely empowered. Prophets needed to speak to God's people about his will and correct their paths. Priests were often the only connection between heaven and earth. So what way better to connect to God than through his spirit? This was not good enough for God. And he desired to be among all his people instead of just a select few. But he needed to deal with the issue of sin. Through our sinful nature, we separate ourselves from his presence, and this makes us spiritually dead. We can be alive physically, we can be healthy emotionally, but essentially a pile of bones before God. Unresponsive and insensitive to his will for our lives. Without the Holy Spirit, our good works and righteous deeds become nothing but dead religion. God wanted to breathe life into all of his creation. This is where Jesus comes in. 
as he lives a perfect life, and as he pays the ultimate price for our sins, the Holy Spirit becomes available to all who believe in him. The Spirit is what animates life through Jesus. He wakes up our heart in salvation, and he helps us to grow in Jesus. He gives us vitality. As we receive the Holy Spirit through Jesus, we become part of God's plan for restoration. And I'm empowered to share the good news and generate this new spirit in others. We no longer carry Jesus' teachings, but now carrying his life-giving pneuma so that the work of the new creation can be completed throughout the world. Through this life-giving pneuma, you can love God and others better than you ever could imagine. Through this powerful pneuma, you can turn the darkness and disorder in your life into a new abundant creation. Through the Holy Spirit, we find our life. The first truth we must understand is that the pneuma or the Holy Spirit gives us life. Now I want to illustrate this through my own life. As I said earlier, religion has always been a big part of who I was. And I knew all the important parts of Christianity. The problem was that I was, as Alex Rodriguez says, Christian by name, but not by nature. Meaning, I called myself a Christian, but my life did not reflect Jesus. I learned to show what a Christian lived like, a show, but I actually didn't live it. You see, because underneath all of the fluff and all of the sweetness and all of what the little old ladies saw at church, there was darkness and disorder in my life. I used to believe that some sins were much worse than others. And as long as I didn't commit those big sins, and I was good with God. I told myself that as long as I didn't drink, as long as I didn't smoke, as long as I didn't go too far with a girl, then God still accepted me for who I was. For over a decade, I had a severe addiction to pornography. And it had a deep hold in my life. At the end of my first semester at UNI, I found myself in my first serious relationship. Unfortunately, we really didn't bother to set up proper boundaries. And truthfully, I believe that I would have the strength to say no whenever I wanted to. I believe that I could fight off the temptation, so why bother setting up safeguards? Why bother trying to keep myself from falling? As time went on, we pushed further and further. And eventually I lost the strength to say no. And we crossed all physical boundaries. Every ounce of righteousness and any sins that I thought I once had was now gone. I had dug myself into this deep pit of despair and shame and guilt. But I couldn't let others see my shame. I couldn't let others see the guilt that I was feeling inside. So instead of trying to crawl out, I dug myself deeper, and I hid in the darkness. We continued to cross physical boundaries all the while lying about what was going on in our relationship for almost two years. I would look into the mirror, and I couldn't recognize who was looking back at me because I was so far gone. I was a dead man walking. Everything seemed to stack up against me. My sin started to stack up against me, lie after lie, sin after sin. It was this towering, just monument of my sin. 
Then one day it fell on me. One day it came crashing down. Pastor Daniel and Derek eventually found out what I had done, what I was doing, and what had happened for the past couple of years. And I hit rock bottom. There was no hope for me anymore. I was in the light. The darkness in my life was too big. I was too far gone. But thankfully, my story didn't end there. On the night of September 14, 2019, on Derek's living room couch, I found my life. As I sat there weeping over my sin and I felt the shame and guilt, I remember I was sitting there on the couch and Pastor Daniel walks up and he sits down in front of me, crisscross applesauce, a grown man. And he sits in front of me and as I'm sitting there weeping and just hearing all sorts of voices, like you don't deserve to live. God is done with you. He sat down in front of me and he said, hey man, I want you to know something. No matter what you've done, no matter what you've, how many times you've messed up, I will never look at you any different than the first day that I met you. Although Daniel was trying to just be a good pastor and do the most loving thing he could, Jesus was speaking through Daniel. I no, longer, I no longer understood the gospel up here. It hit me here. As I came to the end of myself, I came to fa face to face with the radical grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. And in that moment, the Ruach of God made me a new creation. So now that we understand who the Holy Spirit is as a pneuma and how he gives us life, when we decide to say yes to Jesus, we can focus on what he does as the parakletos. Which is a transla translation we find for the word helper in our text. But it can also mean comforter. It can also mean advocate. It can also mean legal counselor. Following Jesus was difficult then. And it continues to be so even 2,000 years later. Which is why he sent us a helper that would lead us, that would guide us. So we read again in John chapter 14, verse 26, which says this. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. I believe that the Holy Spirit has a process in which he helps us to love God more and to look more like Jesus by doing three simple things. Convicting us, confirming us, and conforming us. Now, this might seem like a lot of information, but it's a lot more simple than you think, and it's actually a pretty repetitive process. If we read a couple of chapters later in John, namely chapter 6, 16, verses 7 through 8, we read Jesus stating that the Holy Spirit would come to convict us. Now, this might be a new word for you, but essentially conviction is revealing to your heart your sin and wrongdoing against God. Matthew Henry says this regarding the conviction of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit convinces of the fact of sin, that by it we become hateful to God. The Holy Spirit proves that all the world is guilty before God. You see, the point of convicting us of our sin helps us to realize that we need a Savior. 
those who believe that are healthy and fit will have no reason to see a doctor, no matter what issues or symptoms they might have. But those who recognize the state of illness and disease they find themselves in will see no other option but to seek out a doctor, no matter the cost. The Holy Spirit wants to help us see our errors and mistakes because they are what keeps us from being all that God wants us to be. So once we can see the sin in our life, the Holy Spirit works on the next stage of the process, which is to confirm us. How many of you guys have ever had someone you trust tell you that you were doing something wrong? And realize that they were right. How do you normally feel after hearing those words? Probably not great. Like maybe you said something you shouldn't have. Maybe you messed up during practice or a game and you get yelled at by a coach. So you think if the feeling for small errors and mistakes can make us feel horrible or shameful towards ourselves, how much more does the weight of sin feel? From experience, it's a heavy burden. This is where the Holy Spirit continues his powerful work in, conform, in confirming us. When we accept Jesus and decide to follow him, we are adopted into the family of God. And like legal adoption, we receive rights. And what is known as sonship or being welcomed into the family of God. The Spirit, Spirit works to convict you, yes, but at the same time reaffirms your position as a son or daughter of God. Romans chapter 8, verses 16 through 17 put it this, puts it this way. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified in him, with him. In essence, as a child of God, it does not matter how many times you fall down. It does not matter how many times you screw up. It doesn't matter how many times you don't measure up. Because as long as we can see the error in our ways, as long as we can say, God, I'm sorry for what I did, you are still part of the family of God. Through the Holy Spirit, we can be assured that God is not simply looking for a reason to punish or banish you. Once we can recognize our sins and still understand that we have a place in God's family, the Holy Spirit helps us to look more like Jesus by conforming us to his image. Paul shows us how this process works in Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 7. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on flesh is death, but to set the mind on spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's will. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Essentially what Paul is saying is that God is offering provision for holiness. He's offering a way for us to be able to live like Jesus lived. And he's offering to all those who put their faith in Jesus. Once the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin and confirms our status as heirs through Christ, he simply doesn't want us to show us what we did wrong, but help us so we can do it right. Walking with Jesus is hard, and we cannot do it on our own. This is why we need the Holy Spirit to help us obey Jesus. 
The Spirit becomes our strength to overcome our sinful nature and becomes our teacher for how to do it. The second transformational truth for tonight is that the parakletos, or the Holy Spirit, empowers us to live like Jesus. So as I said before, this is a process. And it's never fully completed in this lifetime. And for myself, life did not get easy all of a sudden. Life did not radically change the moment I said, yes, God, yes, Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins. In fact, it got much harder. And it was one of the most painful couple years of my life. I now knew of what Jesus wanted for my life. I knew what he had done for me, not just in my head, but in my heart now. And I wanted to do whatever I could to please him. Through the next season, I would have to learn how to battle various sexual addictions and lush issues that had developed over several years. I had learned how to be open. I had to learn how to be open and vulnerable about what I was struggling with. I had to face how sinful I was and how hypocritical I was toward people who were sinner, more, more of a sinner than I was. But through it all, the Holy Spirit helped me and pointed me to Jesus. There would be times where I would doubt that I would ever overcome my addictions. Or I would be stuck in this cycle of shame and guilt. But the Holy Spirit would gently remind me of Jesus' forgiveness and grace. There would be times where I would find myself feeling weak and just wanting to give up. That it would be easier just to live my own life the way that I wanted to. But somehow, I would find the supernatural strength to keep going. I would find the supernatural strength to say, yes, Jesus, I'll continue walking with you. Over many months and years, I slowly began thinking less of myself and more of what God wanted for my life. I no longer wanted to be in control of my life because I knew that I would mess it up. And instead, wanted to do everything in my power to please God. Now, all of this can make sense to you, but you must learn to apply it to your own life. Understand that you can easily work through the first step of the process, but never get any further. Understand that you may easily work the entire pro- through the entire process for one sin issue, but only to find yourself stuck in another. For example, it might be easy for you to understand the weight of your sin and how you've fallen short But instead of letting the Holy Spirit confirm your identity in Jesus, you constantly beat yourself up and have a negative view of self-worth. Or you might easily recognize a sin in in your life and understand that there is grace, but you let apathy and comfort keep you from allowing the Holy Spirit to conform you to the image of Jesus. You can see how God wants you to change, but you simply lack the desire and courage do so if we take it a step further maybe you applied this process to one growth area such as anger towards somebody who had hurt you and betrayed you you've repented and you've found freedom through the holy spirit but now you're coming face to face with a different struggle such as your personal purity and for whatever reason you find yourself stuck in the same sin i encourage you to examine your behaviors and responses and see where the disconnect is To be convicted of sin, you have to know what sin is. And that can only be found in Scripture. 
Conviction is the first step in the process, but conviction can only God can only come through God's word. And thus the beginning is scripture. We cannot be reminded of God's words if we never read them. We can never be confirmed in God's promises if we have never heard them. The power and the ministry of the Holy Spirit works in conjunction or together with his word. Please hear me. The whole point of you reading the Bible is not to see how bad of a person you are, but it's to figure out what breaks the personal heart of God. In order to understand the confirmation of God, you must be honest and talk with someone you trust about feelings of shame and condemnation so people can encourage you. To be conformed, you need to listen to the Holy Spirit in your life. If you feel that small voice in your heart telling you to change something and that lines up with the Bible, listen to it. For example, if you feel the Holy Spirit tells you to delete a certain app, spend less time playing video games or end a relationship. If you're looking for a sign, this is it. Obey the Holy Spirit. The other practical application you can use in your own life is how you pray. Too often we focus on the other two people of the Trinity, such as asking the Father for things or asking the Son for forgiveness, but neglect the Spirit. I challenge you to include the Holy Spirit more in your prayers, such as asking Him to convict you of your sins. If you're struggling with identity issues, ask Him to remind you of your divine identity in Jesus. Or even to give you strength during a time of weakness. So to recap everything we have talked about in one idea. The main idea is this. The Holy Spirit gives us life and empowers us to live more like Jesus. Now you might be in this place and you say, look, Vicar, I've, I've heard all the sermons. I've heard everything there is to know about the Holy Spirit. I've heard Ruach and I've heard Numa. I've heard all of those things. I've listened to Rest on Us 30 times. And I still don't see a difference in my life. The problem is that we treat the Holy Spirit as a spiritual sedative when we face hardship. During a time of suffering, we call on him to numb our pain and affliction. But this isn't at all what God wanted. Although the Bible does describe the Holy Spirit as our comforter, we take this verse as our primary definition of what he's supposed to do. We decide for him what he's supposed to do to us. Sometimes we call on him to make sure that we cover all of our bases in the Trinity. When in reality, he should be the first person we go to. If you're in this place and have been trying to receive what the Holy Spirit has to offer and you yearn for an encounter, the greatest question we can ask ourselves is why do I seek him? Do I seek the Holy Spirit because we need to soothe our spiritual wounds? Do we seek the power of the Holy Spirit because we need to be better leaders? Do we seek the Holy Spirit because it seems like everyone else at Chi Alpha is doing it, so I have to do it too? Do we seek the Holy Spirit because we want the spiritual feelings during worship? Or do we seek the Holy Spirit simply because
because he is God or simply because he can help us look like Jesus. Maybe you're in this place and you're here for the first time and you might be confused, you might be terrified, you might be a little bit uncomfortable. Maybe you're wondering why in the world you would ever want to receive this so-called win of God or why you should believe in some kind of invisible spirit when you can't see him or feel him and you don't even know if you believe, you believe that he exists. The simplest answer that I can give you can be found in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23, which says this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. I ask you this now. Do you need love in your life? Not just affection or physical attraction, but deep sacrificial love. Do you find yourself surrounded by pain and suffering and in searching for an indescribable, indescribable joy that is unfazed by the problems of life? Do you find yourself in a state of constant anxiety, worried about your future or even things that you can't control, and are looking for a peace that surpasses all understanding? Do you find yourself being unable to manage your destructive habits and responses such as irrational shopping and binge drinking and eating to fill a void, searching for a sense of self-discipline and self-control? Look no further. I know of a friend. I know of a comforter. I know of an advocate. I know of a person who can give you all of those things. If you're in this place and you're feeling lost and hopeless, I know of a person for you. Because years ago, I found my, that very same person at the end of myself. As I close tonight, I'll ask you all to please stand. I just ask that you dream with me for a second. Could you imagine a world in which darkness and disorder no longer existed, but instead a world filled with God's love and life-giving spirit? If you are here tonight feeling tired and hopeless and without guidance, please take heart and know that God's Holy Spirit did not stop at the tomb. The Holy Spirit did not stop at flaming tongues of fire on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit did not stop when Jesus was in the grave. He's still hovering in dark places. You can still find your life if you're feeling hopeless. There's still hope for you. No matter how many things you've messed up, no matter how many times you've fallen short, no matter how much you, self, how much you beat yourself up, there is still hope for you. I urge you and I encourage you Please, give the Holy Spirit a chance. He can still help you. And it is not too late. I believe there's two people in this room, two types of people. And I'm going to ask that you all bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're in this place, and this is your first time here, or maybe you're just now hearing about the Holy Spirit, and you said, look, Victor, I'm at the end of myself, and I don't know what else to do. I just need this Holy Spirit in my life, because I don't know what else to do. 
I just ask that you raise your hand. One, two, three. Two. I see those hands. I just ask that you pray with me. Jesus, thank you so much for your son who died on the cross for us. Thank you, Jesus, for this life-giving spirit that is now available to us, Jesus. We just ask that you help us to recognize our sin and to be able to overcome it through your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now I believe there's more of us in this room. Who said, yeah, I've heard of the Holy Spirit. I've listened to all the sermons. I know what you're talking about, but yet your life is no different than those who don't. If you're in this room and you just need more of the Holy Spirit in your life, you need Him to do something different. You need Him to bring vitality into your relationship with Jesus. If you're in this place like that, maybe your small group isn't going the way that you want it to. Maybe you're feeling like you're at some point where you don't know what else to do. I just ask that you let the Holy Spirit in one more time and see what He can do. If you feel like that's you, if you feel like you want to give the Holy Spirit a chance, I ask that you raise both hands up. Yes, Jesus, we're just so thankful, God. Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would move in such a powerful way tonight. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would bring life into this place. If there are those who are walking in in dead religion, Jesus, I pray that you would speak life into them. Holy Spirit, we need you to move in our ministry. Holy Spirit, we need you to move in our life. Holy Spirit, we need you to be this light in our friends, in our families. Holy Spirit, would you be here with us? We pray all of this in Jesus' name. As we worship one more time, I ask that you would pray for the Holy Spirit. Invite him into your life. Ask him what he has to offer. Let's worship.